0: The otter, who's a, a swimmer, and there's also like a, an elephant that's a gymnast.
1: Hey there, welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is November 12th, 2019, and I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor here at Five Thirty Eight. I'm joined in the studio by one of my co-hosts, senior sports writer, Neil Payne. Hi, Neil.
2: Sarah, how are you?
1: I'm fantastic. How are you?
2: I'm doing equally fantastic.
1: <laughs> We're all just still buzzing over the, that exciting Monday Night Football game. I
2: know. Yeah, usually you uh, you can ignore the second half of Monday Night Football games because it's usually the Jets are involved and it has no bearing on the universe whatsoever. But in this one, it was uh, actually a, a huge game.
1: I like that you got in a dick at the Jets there. That was good.
2: That was for you, Jeff.
0: I didn't like that. I haven't been introduced yet formally, so I couldn't. You know, he
2: couldn't even respond.
1: Myself. Sure, that's I, it was, how it works. It yeah, a
0: little, it was a little unfair. Let's be honest.
1: online from Los Angeles is five thirty eight contributor Jeff Foster. Hi, Jeff. Oh,
0: there, there's my introduction. Now I can now I can stand up for my team that had a big win. They did win. Oh boy, yeah, it, it was a big was win.
1: Big, yeah, big. Oh yeah. How are you guys doing in fantasy football? My team is in free fall. How are you?
2: Uh, I'm doing all right. You yeah, know, I won. won. I think I'm seven and three yeah. on the season. Yeah. You know, looking forward to. Probably, you know, losing in the first round of the playoffs. Who nice. cares? Who yeah. cares? Who cares? My whole team is injured. Yeah. It's fine.
0: How about you, Jeff? Um, Sam Darnold's my quarterback, so I got Oof. issues. We should also remind our listeners that this league is very large. We're not just complete morons. No. Yeah, how many? <laughs> how many teams? Are there? Sixteen Six. teams.
1: 16 teams. Yeah. It's it's Hence a right. lot.
0: We're scraping the bottom yeah, of the barrel. Here. It's a, deep- it's a lot of buys too. Let me just say too many buys this week. What is up with this?
2: I do feel like it's a varying uh, number of teams uh like this particular week compared with a normal week and it really messes with fantasy.
1: Some fantasy It's like they
2: forgot they're like, oh <laughs> crap! We got to give a week off to. It's, it's six almost of these like teams. they weren't thinking about
1: fantasy. It's almost they mean, like they, they were. Decision. Some fantasy owners draft their teams um, while looking at who would be on buy at the same time. That is no, just a, mean, just a thought nerds. for going forward. You nerds do that. <laughs> yeah, there's no nerds in the 538 fantasy football league. I don't <laughs> not know what a one. <laughs> except apparently, Sarah. <laughs> just me. Just one me. thing
0: 538 doesn't have is nerds. <laughs>
1: uh one quick bit of housekeeping before we move on 538 has new merchandise available on nerd, our website nerd merch nerd merch Hashtag right here for merch. you <laughs> so if you're looking to buy a cozy sweatshirt or t-shirt for someone these holidays who might be a fan of the show or just of the site in general that's fine too head to 538.com store i am currently wearing a piece of 538 merchandise It's a very cozy hoodie sweatshirt with our cute little logo. It looks cozy. I love it. It's really – it's great. It's very warm and nice and great. So, So yes, go go buy our merch. On today's show, we're diving into the load management debate in the NBA. We'll discuss the NCAA's contentious eligibility decisions on celebrated players Chase Young and James Wiseman. And we'll take a deep dive into data with our rabbit hole of the week. Last week, NBA All-Star Kawhi Leonard was inactive for the Clippers' nationally televised matchup against the Milwaukee Bucks and reigning MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo. His absence from the game was attributed to ongoing load management, which is meant to address Kawhi's persistent knee and quad injuries by limiting his playing time during the regular season. The reaction to this game was complicated by a statement from L.A. coach Doc Rivers that Kawhi feels great and it's not a health thing, which appeared to directly contradict the team's health assessment. The Clippers were fined $50,000 for the statement. Further complicating matters was that Kawhi was cleared to play the next night against the Portland Trailblazers. This led to all kinds of outrage from the media and players about just how far load management should go and if the choice to bench Kawhi in such a highly anticipated matchup was hurting the league. One particularly hot take came from friend of the show and analytics enthusiast Jalen Rose on Jalen and Jacoby. I've
3: been talking about this For the eight years that we've been on this show, what ends up happening is fans and media should take the blame for this. Here's why. Because you guys have shown players you don't care about the journey, the 82-game season. You care about the destination. You dumb it down so very much that the regular season becomes irrelevant to you and how you uh, analyze players. And you only talk about how many championships people have done, have won. Players today are more skilled than ever. They're also Mm -hmm. smarter than ever and have more access to information than ever. And so now that players have realized that you're going to dumb me down and only judge me by stats, only judge me by championships, oh, the regular season is going to be meaningless to me, too.
1: There's a lot to unpack when it comes to load management, but let's start with Jalen's allegations there. Jeff, is there something to his argument that fans and the media only care about championships?
0: You know, you take your family to a Clippers game, and what does that end up costing you? Upwards of $400, and you get there, and, and Kawhi Leonard's not playing? All of a sudden, you care about the regular season and not just championships. So, I mean, these games on a, in a vacuum are important to some people. I mean, I think in the grand scheme of things, yes, the NBA has gotten increasingly playoff-focused and increasingly title-focused, and the regular season, as we've talked about endlessly on the show, is just increasingly less important. If you're a very good team, especially in the age of the super team, you're going to make the playoffs, and... That's just going to happen, it, 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 barring like catastrophic injury to multiple players. You know, it, it, these games are not going to mean anything. So, yes, I guess he's right in that sense. But um, I mean, I think the the bigger debate is 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 interesting uh, about wh- how to handle these stars and, and whether they owe it to the fans to to play every night.
1: I found though the point he made that it's the fault of the fans and the media that championships are the only thing that matter, which seems like...
0: That I disagree with because it's obviously important to the players. Like, look at what has happened to the league. That seems to be... Like, look at the whole Durant thing. This seems to be the main thing that players care about these days.
2: Now, I mean, you could ask the question of why do the players care so much about it? And I think we've written a number of times about how they do seem to be focused on their legacies and they seem to be sort of seeing the way that uh, players in the past were lionized for winning championships and seeing championships as kind of a cheat code, you know, it, it, that no one will remember that they were earned on these super teams. They'll just kind of count the rings. Uh, and they also see the example, the counterexamples of like Charles Barkley, who uh, has never really gotten his due as a player for his career because he never won a championship. Same with Karl Malone and and a lot of guys from that Jordan era. So I think that... You know, It's kind of a weird uh, circular system in which the fans and the media hype up championships and judge people based on that, and then the players see that and they act in accordance with that uh, because they know that's how they're being measured, and then we complain about them behaving that way even though we're part of the problem in the sense that we set up that, that system.
0: But what what's how is this different? This is true of every sport. Everyone wants to win. I mean, like in every sport.
2: Well, I think it's different though in the sense that um, you know, in the context of this load management conversation, there aren't really ways in football to I guess maybe resting your starters in like week 17, you know, if somebody yep. like paid to see Peyton Manning, you know, in a Colts game, and then they went twelve and three heading into the last week, and all of a sudden you're seeing, you know, uh, Dan Orlovsky. I don't even know who the backup was for for those Colts teams. Uh, but you know, you're kind of stuck seeing subpar uh, players in a situation where the team is strategically holding out their best players in in favor of kind of enhancing their championship odds. I guess that's kind of a similarity between. football and basketball. But that
0: goes back again to the, re- to the regular season not really mattering as much in the NBA. Like, yeah. you, you know, you look at MLB and remember that thing with Matt Harvey wanting to be shut down when yep. the Mets were in a chase and like teams were like, no. Yeah, the same sort of thing. But the Mets needed to win those games to get into the playoffs because the baseball regular season is still very much important. So if it was everything was structured where half the league gets into the playoffs and there's half the league is also tanking, you could probably shut down your starter, you know, for a couple of months if, if you have a comfortable lead, and, and save him for the playoffs. And teams would probably do that.
2: Don't give them any ideas.
1: But isn't that really the key? The NBA, more than half of the teams get into the playoffs. Like it's set up so that the regular season won't matter. It's set up by the league that way. If so many teams get in, when's the last time we've really cared about like? The playoff hunt in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, it really you're talking about the, you know, yeah, the that seven eight seed, seed, eight yeah, seed, nine right.
0: seed. This is in the NHL. Where, right. Well, you know, yes. Tampa Bay Lightning set records uh, for the regular season and then just immediately get eliminated from the playoffs. Yeah. That and and happen.
2: And maybe that's another kind of like the regular season doesn't matter conversation. Uh It's almost like talent matters too much in the NBA and it matters not enough in a sport like the NHL. But I mean, we looked at this. You know, there are ways to. Uh, look at how much information value I guess each game has based on what's the point in each season where you you can kind of look at a team's record and know that it's half luck and half skill, and that's the point you know of equivalence between schedule lengths in each sport. So, for instance, in the NBA, it takes about twelve games for what you see in a team's record to be half luck and half skill. In the NFL, that number is 11 games. So basically, and I think we've said this before, that one NBA game and one NFL game are equivalent in terms of, you know, kind of telling you something about a team's talent. Trouble is, the NFL plays 16 games and the NBA plays 82 games. And by the way, in baseball, that point of sort of half luck and half skill is about 67 games. So basically, if you wanted to kind of convert things to an NFL-length schedule, the NBA would play – Basically a seventeen and a half game schedule instead of eighty two.
1: <laughs> I like the last half. Like, <laughs> got yeah. and scrimmage, guys.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, and and if the if you flip it around and try to say, okay, well, what if you wanted a baseball season to give as much information as eighty two NBA games give you? The baseball season would have to be four hundred and fifty eight games long. Just let that sink in for a second, and it tells you about why the regular season in the NBA feels like it doesn't matter, why somebody like Kawhi Leonard rightly, I think, decides to sort of prioritize his own health and pace himself throughout the length of the season, it's because they play way too many games. And the effects of this can be seen not just in terms of this, you know, kind of abstraction of luck versus skill and how many games do we need, but in terms of the toll that it takes on players' bodies and the amount of travel that they have to do and the amount of rest that they're able to get, like sleep. Uh, Our colleague Baxter Holmes at ESPN has written a lot about this stuff over the years, about how sleep is almost like... this coveted commodity in in the NBA load management as a term I mean now it's kind of become a euphemism for uh, just taking days off for rest uh, or whatever but I mean it literally comes from this biomechanical research about okay how much force and how much stress are players putting on their joints and their tendons and and their you know extremities you know Jalen talked about in his quote that analytics are you know part of the problem that's ruining uh, the NBA in this regard Not necessarily, though, in this legacy chasing regard, but it definitely is a part of it in the sense that teams now are able to measure using wearables, using, you know, even just the player tracking uh, data from in games, how much workload players are putting on their bodies and how much they can afford to, you know, and still be at full strength in May and June, which is when we've all decided the games really matter. If it were up to analytics types like me, I mean, you know, we come from the fine tradition of baseball sabermetrics where you don't even look at the playoffs. You know, yeah, playoff stats aside from like, you know, Justin Verlander's hideous World Series record or something like that, they don't even get brought up. Uh, we only look at the regular season. All the records, records are in the regular season. So if you ask stat heads, I think for the most part, they would just be like, yeah, the regular season's large sample. Let's just judge players on that and, you know, uh, not overrate counting the rings. Uh, But in the other sense of using analytics to track who, you know, a player's health and optimize them for this time that everyone has agreed on is the most important time of the year in the playoffs, in the finals, then yeah, analytics has, I think, played a big role in this.
1: Well, analytics, but also just, like, advances in science. Like, it's not just analytics. It's true, like biology it's like knowing how and, bodies yeah, work better medicine. yeah which are more you know advances in human knowledge not just nerds with their spreadsheets telling players to take games off which i think is what what Jalen Rose is trying to say and that's just not part of it
0: it's also no different than pitch counts and, and limiting the amount of wear that you know starters put on their arms when they're averaging fastballs in the high 90s they they, they shouldn't go out there and throw 140 pitches a game and we all accept that because it's pretty reasonable.
2: I don't know. I mean I think that the the, the complaints – some of the strain of complaints about this Kawhi thing were sort of like a – Back in my day, we played 82 <laughs> games, you know, a type of kind of curmudgeonly, because you did see players from like the 80s kind of chiming in and being like, you know, today's players are, are wimps. They're not playing enough. That's the same strain of thinking that's like Nolan Ryan went out and threw 200 pitches in a game. Why can't, you know, today's starters last more than five innings? It's always kind of this idea of in the past, you know, there was, there was a time when Wilt Chamberlain literally averaged more than 48 minutes a game in a season in 1962 because they played overtime games. So he played like every second of every game for an entire NBA season. But the thing that people are forgetting is that the the toll that playing in the NBA takes on you now versus then is like not even a comparison. The players are larger, they're faster, they're doing a lot more movement, uh and, and they're cutting, they're decelerating a lot more. Uh and the the court is spread out a lot more now with the with three point shooting and, and pick and rolls. The way basketball is played now is not comparable to the way that it was played in a time when all of these old timers were were playing their eighty two games and not complaining about it. And the players also have a lot more power. You know the labor force Force of the NBA has a lot more power. It's it's very plausible that in the 80s players would have been like, "No, I don't actually want to play all these games, but I kind of have to because I have no choice." Uh, And and these are all kind of threads that are kind of coming together in this one particular case. I think.
1: So, what is the the damage that load management does is is to what? It's to the fans, to the fan experience. Do do players have an obligation there to make the fan experience better? I mean, does Kawhi have an obligation to play for those Wednesday night Clippers fans? And that game, by the way, that game was a home game. So it wasn't like he was in Milwaukee disappointing visiting fans. Although he, the other game he sat this season was a road game.
0: Part of this has to do with the fact that it was a nationally televised game that, you know, they wanted a lot of eyeballs on and they were building up. So there's a business side to that from the league standpoint. And I think this is just like the the new world order. If you're an NBA fan, you got to start looking at the schedule and maybe don't buy tickets on a back-to-back or something because this is a possibility. This could happen. You, you, the star player could sit. When I was a kid or in my younger years, I used to go to the Met games on Sundays. And because it was always a day game after a night game, Piazza... Mm who was really the only reason I was going was to like see Mike Piazza would always sit. And it was a bummer, but it was like, it was a Sunday day game after a night game. and You don't usually catch both of those. So you just come to terms with it. So like, I think whether they make that clear more in advance or they make that clear when you're buying the tickets, that there's a possibility that, you know, the stars might be out. Maybe that would be more fair.
1: I think that baseball example is the perfect example. Like if I go to a baseball game even if I have to travel to go see my team, I, I would never assume that my favorite players are automatically going to play because that's not how baseball works and rest is a big part of it. So, I mean, should we have the same ex- expectation of of NBA games? And the other component of that I'm curious about is if you're a Clippers fan, would you rather see Kawhi Leonard on one Wednesday night home game or have the Clippers win a title?
2: Yeah, and that's why I think this is a little bit of a straw man that that the media has created uh in and trying to couch it as being like won't someone please think of the fans? Won't someone please think of the children fans that this is the only time they'll ever get to see Kawhi Leonard play for the Clippers and and he deprived them of that. When it's like, yeah, the people who are saying this are largely those connected with networks that stand to lose viewership and money you know uh because the the matchup isn't comp- as compelling and by the way that game ended up actually being pretty close and pretty interesting came down to a five-point margin at the end
0: is this really like a league-wide epidemic or is this a problem pretty unique to Kawhi? if it, if we even called a, a problem i mean he, he played 60 games last year and he openly said he didn't care about the regular season and then was awesome in the playoffs and Toronto won a title so it worked why would he not do it again I mean it's working for him he's got an injury history and that's what he's going to do so I think you know you don't see James Harden's out there every night you know there's a lot of guys are out there every night
2: yeah no I totally agree and and he is dealing with sort of an ongoing injury you know it's it's something that is not going to go away uh, in the future. And that's the management part of load management is trying to, you know, it's not something where if he just rests enough or takes a little bit of time off, it, it, he'll be back to 100%. It's really just a question of kind of extending his career and and working around it and saving him for the most important games of the season. And I'm sorry, a November game, a, you know, regular season game, even though it is kind of a marquee matchup, seems like it's it's – in everyone's interest it's in the Clippers interest it's it's in Kawhi's interest and it should also probably be in the fans interest if they want to see them win a championship that he takes care of his health during this time
1: so if this were a league problem which I feel like we don't think it is if it were and the league needed to do something about it what could they do I don't think they can say you have to play even if you're dealing with injuries i just don't they can't do that they can't do that for lots of reasons but what are some options for them because we are already annoyed with the length of the nba regular season and we we had before any of this happened we were already annoyed that it didn't matter so is that the bigger problem that the regular season doesn't matter and they should do something about making the regular season more important adam silver talked about Changing the schedule and shortening the regular season but then having like mini tournaments during the season like the – like European soccer does where there are random cups that you don't really know why they're there but they're there and they have other people play sometimes, whatever. And so that could be the kind of an option because they can't really not have as many games – I mean, the owners would never go for that. They want the revenue from and t- that. And
2: to be honest, I mean, the players' salaries are dictated by basketball related income. So the players would lose money too if they agreed to a shorter season, which I don't think either side really wants to, you know? So, yeah, it, it is kind of a question of how do you make the regular season feel meaningful? Um, and some of the solutions. I'm a little bit skeptical of like the in-season tournament thing. I think that that would require kind of a a different mindset than we've seen in American pro sports. I'm not saying it couldn't be done, but you almost have to like retrain the fans right. in a way because – Make
1: them soccer fans first.
2: So I don't – Know if that's where you want to be as a league, but then at the other end of the spectrum, like you said, Sarah, half the league, more than half the league makes the playoffs, and there aren't really that many upsets once you get to the playoffs, and the regular season just feels like a formality that everyone's trying to just kind of like, let's get this over with, you know, before the real season starts. It's a challenge.
1: I'm pretty, I'm pretty convinced that we need fewer playoff teams in the NBA. I think 16 is just too many. I think they could do with six in each conference and make it a little bit more exciting to get, to get those last spots in. It still wouldn't, I mean, the playoffs would still probably be pretty what we'd expect. Maybe fewer games in each series. So there's a little more randomness in there. Yeah.
0: I'd be on board.
1: Okay. Let's do it. Let's do it, guys. I'm
0: generally on board with dramatic. See change that won't happen.
1: (laughs) Last week, the eligibility of two prominent college athletes was called into question in two separate cases. Ohio State defensive end Chase Young was held out of the Buckeyes game against Maryland, while Memphis center James Wiseman was declared likely ineligible by the NCAA. Both student athletes are projected to be among the top picks in their drafts in 2020. Jace Young's situation has to do with a loan he took from a family friend to pay for his girlfriend to travel to the Rose Bowl to watch him play. In a tweet, Young said that the person who lended him the money was a family friend he had known before his freshman season at Ohio State and that he'd already paid back the loan. Those circumstances, whether the family friend was related to Young's athletic career at all and how long he had known the person, are all elements of the NCAA's investigation. James Wiseman's story is a bit more complicated, and it starts when he was in high school. Penny Hardaway, who at the time was a high school coach but is now the coach of the University of Memphis, covered $11,500 in expenses for Wiseman's family to move from Nashville to Memphis, where Wiseman then enrolled at the high school where Hardaway coached. Because Hardaway had previously donated to Memphis and is, of course, a notable alumnus of the program, the NCAA considers him a booster. That would qualify any assistance given to Wiseman and his family as an illegal benefit, regardless of the fact that neither Wiseman nor Hardaway were directly involved with the University of Memphis at the time. These decisions were met with condemnation and confusion from the sports community, Here's Jay Williams responding to the controversy.
3: And they're sabotaging themselves. So my thing is if I'm a kid, if I have 150, 200,000 followers on IG, maybe I don't want to go to college. Maybe I'll just hire a trainer, sign with, you know, a New Balance or a Puma, have them pay for a trainer the whole year, and leave some mystique going into the draft.
1: Is- Jay Williams, right? Neil, can moves like these discourage athletes from wanting to play in college?
2: Maybe. I mean, we've seen uh, a trend even in the past few years. There are other avenues that uh, a lot of people have, uh, you know, pursued. You think about not just somebody like Lamelo Ball, but you think of Anthony Simons. He was drafted in the first round a few years ago. He went to an academy that just basically trained him for sports specifically. have R.J. Hampton who decided to play overseas and he's not the only one that's done that. The Australian Basketball uh, League, uh, I think it's called the NBL, uh, has really made a push, I think, to be a welcoming landing spot for players that don't fit the mold of traditional college recruits and want to play professionally against older competition uh, while they wait out this arbitrary year where they can't go into the NBA draft. So it's possible that things like this, you know, maybe not this specific case, but more and more as players have alternatives to playing in college and using that as like the sole pipeline to getting into the NBA, that will sort of see an exodus of players from that pipeline. I don't know how realistic that is because people have been speculating about that, you know, kind of departure from the NCAA system for a long time, and it hasn't quite happened en masse yet, but I think that... You know, the more of these cases that pile up, the more people will start to consider other options.
1: Well, Jeff, what's the angle here for the NCAA? If we're assuming positive intent, what's their end goal with these interventions?
0: College athletics in this country is a bigger issue that needs to be addressed. I mean, in the case of Chase Young, that this is just ridiculous I mean, it's ridiculous when you see like what small amounts of money we're talking about. I mean he this is the most trouble anyone's ever gotten in for paying back a loan. For a plane flight. I mean, come on. This is ridiculous. I mean, I think there's also separate issues, basketball and football. College basketball with the one and duns, and and how these guys are NBA ready. And like we remember when, when Zion Williamson rolled his ankle and everyone had the same thought. I mean, how much money did this kid potentially lose with that injury? I mean, these guys are – they could be in the NBA tomorrow. And frankly – they probably should be, and the sport will be fine. March Madness will be just as exciting without these uh, NBA guys. But in while they still have to play the eligibility, they still have to play a year, you're going to see this. So, I mean, I, it's a tricky one. I mean, this this particular case seems strange because, you know, we're talking about decisions and money that was being handed when – what was he, in eighth grade? Ninth? I mean, he was so young. It's not him doing it. Um, Why should his career suffer? So there are like things that there's reason to be outraged here. I understand it. But in terms of what the NCAA is doing, I mean, I want to hear from you, Sarah, because you sort of flicked at the idea that you were on team NCAA here um so let's hear that but i do think you know they do have to enforce the rules or or change everything you know so that you're giving them more you know they're not just getting room and board and an education which they're not going to use because they're going to leave after one year
1: yeah i mean i agree with you that the whole system is hopelessly it's a disaster for sure so the thing that that frustrates me from the ncaa side in the Wiseman situation is they had declared him eligible in may they supposedly knew all of this, at least that's what um James Wiseman's lawyers are saying in their lawsuit against the NCAA, which is also amazing. It could have really far-reaching consequences if they end up winning this lawsuit. But they the NCAA knew all of this, declared him eligible, and then was like, oh no, never mind. Now you likely are not. Like nothing changed. They had no new information. Probably someone complained. That's at least the going theory that someone complained again and then the NCAA was like, oh, wait, never mind. And that's ridiculous. If you're going to make the decision, you make the decision. Like you can't just change that and screw with this kid's career like that. Like if you want to come bring the hammer down on Memphis or on Penny Hardaway, fine. But it's it's always the kids who suffer here. You know, the coaches, the adults in the situation are get away roughly free. You know, coaches can change schools they can <laughs> go coach in the nba they can do whatever or the nfl <laughs> and they get away with everything and the students bear the brunt of it and that's what bothers me in this case i don't know how you can look at penny hardaway paying for a family to move into his school district where he coaches to then play for him as being anything other than super shady and yeah. like he knew he wanted to be a col- a, co- a college coach sure So he knew he was, I'm sure, I, like, even if it wasn't explicitly said, the idea that he could bring along a five star recruit had to have played a factor in him getting the job in Memphis. There's no way that that did not.
2: Yeah. No, I, (laughs) I mean, we're not, you know, naive. We're not, we're not, we're not blind here. But I do think that this exposes a lot of the inherent contradictions of the NCAA system because, I mean, Kids got to choose where to go based on something, right? This Pandora's box was opened the second that you basically had this ringer system where schools are bringing kids in to go even though, you know, that they probably wouldn't have gone to these schools in the first place if it weren't for the sport, but they're being brought in specifically to play a sport and you know, you have this system where I think it's a little like you know, you talked about them, the NCAA being tipped off or, or you know, someone complaining or something like that. It's like the, what they say about holding in football. It can be called on every play if you wanted it to be called. And so what gets chosen to be flagged and what isn't is, is totally arbitrary. And I think that that, both of these cases, maybe especially uh, the Chase Young one, are examples of that where The NCAA is willing to cut off its own nose to spite its face. It's damaging its own product by excluding some of the best players in that product that everyone wants to see. And the only reason why they have these TV contracts and everything with these networks is because they're sort of, they've injected themselves as this middleman into the process between players Turning from prospects into professional athletes, they're willing to get rid of the only reason why we're watching it over some ultimately paltry amount of money. In in the case of of this loan, and even if Hardaway helped Wiseman move, like. We're saying that kids can't receive any kind of benefit that tangibly helps their life, you know, because a, a school might be using that as an enticement to come and play for them. It's like, yeah, no crap. You know, the schools are going to be using whatever they can to get these guys to play for them because they can't outright pay them because the NCAA has decided on this amateur model, which is a total sham anyway. Uh And so I don't know. It's it's such a broken system that I find it difficult. Difficult to see anything except like the hypocrisy and just the absurdity of of the way that they've set these, these things up, and it was always going to come to this. The whole idea of college athletics and And schools and coaches being able to make a huge amount of money by selling the rights to watch these games, but the players not being able to touch any of it. but also the teams desperately trying to get the players to come and play for the school is just like how was it ever gonna end? How did they think that this would go? You know, it's um it's actually kind of a miracle that it has lasted as long as it has without completely collapsing under its own weight.
1: So where is the line for you? Schools will hire aau coaches to lure a kid a recruit in right, like is, yeah. is that
2: they'll, they'll hire like family members <laughs> as like right. quasi assistant coaches or you know mentors that kind of pass them along you know down the pipeline
1: right and that happens all the time now that's that's what kansas is being federally investigated for right now it seems you know that so this happens a lot so should that be should it Where should the line be? Should it be – should anything be acceptable and it just kind of be a free-for-all just because of the way this is? I mean should people just try to get their money? (laughs) Well, do you
2: guys want to hear my hot take? Sure do. For college basketball, I guess, uh, mainly. But I think it could apply to college football too. I think that – so college basketball should be professional. It should be a codified minor league to the NBA, much like the G League. But that the schools themselves should license their own sort of like jersey image, whatever. So like the Duke team would be a team of professionals that has licensed the Duke image. And that is now Duke college basketball. There's no recruiting. There's a draft or, or however you want to handle it to, you know, kind of make everyone on a, on a level playing field. There's only like 30 teams, so sorry to the to the mid-majors or whatever. I mean, you know, there could be more, I guess, if you expanded the league out. Uh, I haven't fully fleshed this out. But you could treat it like it's a professional league, and the college could just be what it's basically always been, which is sort of like this attachment to a quasi-professional team that they're not— actual students there you know they go to the bare minimum classes to to be considered students in this case they wouldn't have to go to any classes they would be professional basketball players and if they wanted to attend duke later or at any other point in their life That would be part of their contract, you know, with the Duke approved, you know, uh, professional team. But as far as it is, while they're playing, they don't attend class. They're not in any way, shape, or form affiliated with the school aside from playing basketball under the banner of that school. What do you guys think?
0: I'm sort of intrigued, but I think you have it for the wrong sport. I think that's a great plan for football. Yeah. Where there is a sort of top tier, you know, every year it's the same it's the ohio states the alabamas the georges the clemsons and there is this sort of like elite level where we know it's going to be from these one of these schools so that works there but basketball again like college basketball is still exciting there's still crazy upset look at the tournament the parody loyola chicago going to the final four and you know crazy stuff happens george mason you know I don't think that's the right because i think what that would do would just you know create a bigger divide between the haves and the haves nots because obviously the haves are going to have way more money coming in
1: well so doesn't just getting rid of the one and done rule help because if you're good enough you just go play in the nba or you declare yourself and then that's you're going to be yeah. a pro
0: and that really can't happen in football you there's with a few exceptions you know like a guy's, you know Really, you know, sort of ahead of his age, you know, a defensive player. But most of these guys are not NFL ready when they, when they even when they come into the league now. And if they came straight from high school, it, it just wouldn't even work. They wouldn't fit on the teams. They wouldn't know how to play the game. They wouldn't have experience. You know, highly competitive, huge audiences, and, and playing playing the sport, which is already complicated and, and requires a lot of coaching to begin with. Um, whereas basketball. They're NBA ready. We, because we used to, (laughs) we saw it with LeBron James, you know, it's, it's fine. And, and college basketball will be fine. So that's why I think like lumping them, both sports together, is often tricky.
1: And maybe I'm being naive here, but it does seem like college football has less overtly corrupt than college basketball. Uh, Maybe I am being super naive, but like,
2: well, one player makes less of a difference.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And like the Chase Young situation. So first of all, it wasn't – the NCAA actually hasn't handed down the punishment yet. This was Ohio State self-reporting and trying to get him – like to pull him out of two games where they don't need him right, so yeah. that they can have him back later.
0: The Maryland game where they right, were yeah, getting exactly. 42 points.
1: But the fact that they did self-report that and aren't trying to argue that it wasn't a booster makes me think that it was a booster and that it was someone from like – it was like an assistant coach who gave him the money. Which, they're getting ahead of cause it. it. Just se- yeah, it seems very like – because it seems so ridiculous, like a loan from a family friend. If you've known someone for 15 years and they give you money to, send, to take your girlfriend with you, like that's nothing, right? That's obviously insane. And so the fact that they're not fighting it at all and in fact self-reported makes me think that it was a little bit shadier. But, I mean, who knows? Until it all comes out, it's it's obviously all conjecture. What's funny to me is no one's even questioning what actually happened that Penny Hardaway gave Val that money to Wiseman's family. Like, no one is saying, oh, no, that didn't happen. That is like, yep, that's what happened. Facts. Everyone says that. Yeah. So that and that is just like, yeah, well, that's fine. The problem is whether he was a booster. Like, what? Like We're so broken that it's fine to give a family $11,000 to come play for your high school team. Because of the way we won't pay good athletes until they get to the pros, that sets up avenues for corruption. Yeah, Yeah, Pay the players. Yeah,
2: this is like the direct consequence.
1: So what does the NCAA need to do? They do run the risk, it seems, of becoming irrelevant if they don't if if players start choosing to go play in Australia or go, you know, play, play for New Balance for a year, train with them, and then just go to the NBA, right? Like the NCAA does not want that to happen. So what do they do?
2: Well, don't. Uh, I mean, it probably is going to follow what they've already sort of started doing and hinted at doing, which is like try to take the most bare minimum half measure possible toward paying the players and, and act like you're being kind of progressive or whatever. But at the same time, try to stem the tide as much as you can and fight it as much as you can. You know, while just knowing that inevitably it's going to collapse. I think that you know that seems to make sense. Right. What a, what a rosy view. <laughs>
0: They have to enforce the rules. The bigger question is whether they need to change the rules. I mean, we've seen enough where if you don't enforce the rules, it's a slippery slope. All of a sudden, it becomes a Tour de France situation where you have to cheat to even compete, and you don't want that. So the rules, even the small ones, need to be enforced. But the bigger question, as Neil flicked out, is that, yes, it, eventually we're going to need big change to fix this
2: problem. I think cheat to compete. Uh, should be a shirt that we make we Sell it at,
1: at,
2: <laughs> at the hot takedown store. At the, yeah, yeah, at
1: yeah, 538 March store. Sure. <laughs> I love, I love referring
2: to things as a tour de France situation.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's never good. It's like, you do you mean a tour there.
2: de force? No, I mean a tour de France. <laughs> at
1: 538, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories, some don't. We end each week's show with one of these descents, the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. This rabbit hole is probably the most common kind of rabbit hole that I personally fall down. It started from looking up a real thing that we were considering for a story, and it ended off on a totally different tangent. So we started with a conversation about the New York Giants and New York Jets, two not great football teams that played each other this weekend. I went to profootballreference.com, as I often do, and typed in New York. The first option wasn't the present-day Giants or Jets. It was a team I had never heard of, the New York Brickley Giants. My first reaction to that was, of course, what the hell is a Brickley Giant? So off to Wikipedia, I went. So the Brickley Giants were an actual NFL team for one season. They were started by Charles Brickley, who is an All-American halfback at Harvard and apparently one of the best place kickers at the time this was in the late uh, 1910s or so the team which um played in 1921 was sponsored by the new york giants baseball team and played only two official nfl games losing both to the buffalo all-americans and the cleveland tigers
2: now uh, just to just to interrupt for a second mm-hmm. wasn't brickley his uh He was so good at kicking, or perhaps the kicking was so poor, or perhaps the rest of the team's performance was so poor that the main attraction of Brickley Giants games were just to watch him kick field goals, and the game itself was sort of like a okay, well, as long as we're here. Kind of thing,
1: yeah. I think that's right. Um, <laughs> they were really bad. They lost uh, both their games. They didn't score at all. So I don't know if he even got a chance to kick. He yeah, just he did it at halftime, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah um, they
2: wasted their greatest talent. And I don't know. Slash only talent. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. Was place kicking just not like really something done well at that time? Maybe. Well, so I it was think a so. Novelty. I
2: mean, yeah. As our colleague uh, Ben Morris, our former colleague, would uh, he he wrote at length about just how much place kicking has um, improved over the years. Uh, Uh, but yeah, the, the state of kicking, I think maybe it was because of the, the consistency and quality of balls were so bad. The fields were really bad back then. Um, kicks were not gimmies back then, you know? There was one year where Paul Horning was the place kicker for the Packers, uh, in addition to being a Hall of Fame, you know, running back. And he had, like the worst kicking season of all time in fact i'm gonna have to look this up because it's so bad this is a rabbit hole within a rabbit hole <laughs> but paul Horning's season i mean great player you know he's a hall of famer mm-hmm. but there was a year where he tried 38 field goals uh as the halfback slash kicker for the 64 packers that led the league he made 12 of them that was a 31.6% kicking accuracy rate uh, for good old golden boy Paul Horning. Yeah. And that was in the 50s. Right, so, like, right. you know, think of how—or the 60s. Think of how bad it was.
0: You know, the rest of the team was like, God, I really don't <laughs> think Paul should be doing these kicks, but I don't want to tell him. Yeah, <laughs> right. You'd yeah. be the one to yeah, tell exactly. Paul Horning he can't kick. <laughs> I mean, we don't want him to get angry at us. He might leave. <laughs> anyway.
1: Do you think, uh, yeah. Was there anyone else on the team who was like— if I only had the chance, I could make these I kicks. I could and make they're like 35% no. <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. of my <laughs> kicks.
2: Anyway, sorry to derail, Sarah. No,
1: no. This is how rabbit holes happen. That Brickley Giants, so they played their home games. So they had only two NFL games, but they did play some exhibition games, too, during that 1921 season. They played at Commercial Field and Ebbets Field in Brooklyn. And then they played at the Polo Grounds in Manhattan. So they were really the New York and Brooklyn Brickley Giants, which is great.
2: The Brooklyn Brickley Giants. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> That's a perfect name. The Brickley Giants had the second shortest tenure in the NFL behind only the Tonawanda Cardex.
2: Yes. This is uh, this team only lasted for one single game during the same 1921 season.
0: Can we get that name again? One more time. Just one more time what that name the
1: was. The Tonawanda Cardex. Cardex spelled
2: K-A-R-D-E-X. Yeah. We, uh, they, they played their – well, I'll, I'll get to who they played in their loan game, but we got to talk about what is Tonawanda and <laughs> uh, what is Cardex. <laughs> so Tonawanda is a suburb of Buffalo, uh, and Cardex happened to be a uh, – it's a group. It's a, it's a company uh, that, that trades stocks, and it was closely associated with the development of the index card. Hence, I think Cardex kind of came from that as a business data storage device. Yes, index cards <laughs> as data storage. So this team played in the NFL, and it played one game in the NFL. Uh, it is the team with the short, like you mentioned, the shortest tenure of, of any team in NFL history. And the one game that it played was a 45 nothing loss to the Rochester Jeffersons. Now... You might be wondering, who are the Rochester Jeffersons? Well, the Rochester Jeffersons are a true gem of this story, uh, also known as the Jeffs, but not spelled the same way as you, Jeff. Their Wikipedia page under history describes them as that they were, quote, formed as an amateur outfit by a ragtag group of Rochester area teenagers after the turn of the 20th century. So... A ragtag group of Rochester teenagers played in the National Football League.
1: (laughs) I'm, like, really imagining, like, the cast of Newsies. Yeah, right, exactly. But just, like, on a football field.
2: They kind of folded after uh, just a few years in the NFL because... Quote, as it turned out, Rochester was more interested in its thriving sandlot football circuit than in professional football. So
1: (laughs) that's the story of the
2: Rochester (laughs) Jeffs. But the Cardex and the Brickley Giants are two of the four teams in the history of the NFL that played in the NFL, but did not win a single NFL game. The other two are the Muncie Flyers and the Kenosha Maroons. (laughs) So you got the Tonawanda Cardex. I would love to see... Either the Brickley Giants, you know, maybe like for one game... The The actual New York Giants, who, by the way, unaffiliated with the Brickley Giants, right? No, they
1: were sort of—the league wanted the Brickley Giants to try again, and they didn't. And so then the franchise for a New York team was given to the Mara family, and that's how the Giants started. And those are the current Giants. That's the real Giants, yeah. Yeah. I love this rabbit hole so much because, like, we think today of our pro sports leagues as being, like, these fixed things. And when anything changes, it sort of upsets the apple cart, and we hate it. But, like, that is not how sports started out. These pro leagues were all like just random and teams in and out and named crazy things. And in towns, we don't think of as being able to support pro teams. And in fact, maybe not. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you look at the list and I would encourage all the listeners to go to profootballreference.com, uh, their team page, because they have all the active franchises. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Uh, and And then they have another table underneath which lists the inactive franchises, and the number of inactive franchises in NFL history is 54 teams. So there are 54 teams that at one point played in the NFL and no longer do, uh, headlined by, well— I guess maybe not headline at the bottom of the <laughs> list by the Tanawana Cardex and the New York Brickley Giants uh, as playing the fewest games in NFL history. But then you also have teams like the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets who won 70 games uh, and and had uh, the most wins of any of the non-existent teams. They were ahead of the Brooklyn Tigers and the Providence Steamroller. That is singular. Just one It is not plural. It is nice. one wow. steamroller. Wow.
0: Ahead of the curve Provident with the, uh, the singular. Yeah, thing. right?
2: Exactly. They they played uh, from 1925 to 1931. And I feel like we didn't really get some of these singular name teams again for yeah. a long time.
1: They were really ahead of their time. Well, never forget the New York Berkeley Giants and their amazingly unsuccessful <laughs> season. And
2: the Tanawana Cardinals. And the Tanawana Cardinals, That's obviously. the team at the top of my list that, like, you know, forget about expanding to any of the other you know destinations that the nfl has kind of thrown out there let's bring back the Tanawanda Kardec.
1: all right well that will do it for this week's show thank you so much for joining us we'll be back in your feed next tuesday if you like what you heard please subscribe and review and rate the show it really does help other people discover the program you can also email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think our podcast producer is grace lynch tony chow is in the control room Our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. For Neil and Jeff, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.